0: Uh, good morning, friends. Welcome. It is uh, it's Easter Sunday. Uh, he is risen. My name is Pastor Jason. You saw Pastor Joshua before. I am his boss. <laughs> they say uh, um, I'm the Dwight Schrute of the office. I'm the associate to the pastor. In reality. And um, it is, it's wonderful to see so many faces, so many of you guys we haven't seen in a long time, some new faces, um, and and of course it's not lost on us that that, uh, sometimes on Easter Sunday um, people come because, uh, a family member asks them to come, or or they're, you know, attached to somebody, and I just want to say, if that's you, uh, maybe you're here, you're like, you don't even believe, but you're here for the sake of somebody else. I just want to say how you're so welcome here, and I'm so glad that you came, and I think it's uh, a... I think it's awesome that you did. I think it's a sign of, of, like, maturity to be able to say, you know what, I don't even buy this stuff, but I'm going to come and hang out for your sake and honor and respect uh, uh, your faith and your tradition. So if that's you, welcome, you're welcome to be here with all that you are and all of your questions and doubts and even eye rolls, if that's what you want to do, that's totally fine. But we're going to tell some stories this morning, and, and uh, I hope that this blesses you, even if even if this isn't, uh, it isn't quite your thing. I'm going to talk about Jesus of Nazareth this morning. You guys have heard a lot about him. But I also want to talk about somebody you've heard a little less about named Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was, uh, well, if you ask the average Joe down the street if they know about Mary Magdalene, they would tell you the following. They would say, yes, I know Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. I know she hung out with Jesus and she washed his feet with perfume and with tears and all this stuff. I knew that, you know, she's kind of a seductress kind of figure and uh, i read the da vinci code so i think she might have also been jesus's wife (laughs) thing is let me tell you right now none of those things are actually true all of them are rumors that have sort of echoed down throughout history uh some of them are modern in order to sell books but so this this whole reputation that she has is completely unfounded do you know that uh uh it's it's partly due to uh, uh, the fact that there was a, a case of mistaken identity, uh, and it just kind of stuck with her. You see, there, there were two instances uh, in, in the story of Jesus, when he came in somewhere in a very public setting, and a woman came and washed his feet, which is what you would do in the ancient world, because they're just wearing sandals or bare, going barefoot all the time. So you'd wash somebody's feet when they come in somewhere. And on two separate occasions, a woman came to him, and broke open a, a, a jar of, of, of perfume and, 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 and washed Jesus' feet and kissed his feet and it was this like beautiful moment. Um, and one of those was with a different Mary. Her name was Mary, but this is Mary of Bethany. It's like personal friend of, of Jesus and the disciples. and another one was an unnamed woman who had a reputation a, sort of a, you know, reputation as Something She had some you know, shameful sexual thing in her past that people like, would always like, roll their eyes at. And those two instances were conflated, and now people say, oh, this is who Mary Magdalene was. And this cloud has sort of followed her as the rumors and the whispers have echoed down the corridors of history. Now it's, oh, Mary Magdalene. We know who that is. I think, uh, you know, Hollywood directors and writers like this because you're like, yo, we can throw in the lurid details here, you know, and and all these things. Well, um, the truth is, the only thing we actually know about this this woman, she doesn't even show up uh, uh, before the crucifixion except for one passing mention as uh, they're listing several different women who had followed Jesus. It says this about her. It says that Jesus had cast out uh, seven evil spirits from her. And that's it. And then suddenly she's there at the, at the crucifixion. Now, I get why people don't want that in the story. They much like, more prefer the sexy kind of story, you know, like, ooh, like this. And then this other thing is just like, I just said sexy on Easter Sunday. Is that okay? <laughs> I'm going to get a call, I know. I'm going to get some emails. and uh, they, they, People also don't like the whole idea of evil spirits because people don't believe in that sort of thing nowadays, I know. But here's the thing, Jesus apparently did believe in evil spirits because he was always talking to them and telling them to shut up. Like many confrontations through the ministry of Jesus, which is an interesting thing. So here's this woman, we don't know what her past had looked like except that she was tormented by these evil spirits and Jesus told them to leave. Now, I find this very interesting because this means that throughout history she's had this sort of cloud and in her day I'm sure she had this too but in a different way like you know people were whispering and nudging one another but it wasn't for the same reasons we do today it was probably more for like oh dude this woman is crazy Then so wonder if they had nicknames for her I wonder if they called her devil woman you know I wonder, you know, if they called her Crazy Mary. I, I, I wonder if she was the subject of scorn by other people who, follow, who, who followed Jesus even or who were around her. You see, shame is a sticky thing. It's stuck to her for 2,000 years or to her reputation. Shame is something that, that once you've been marked by it, it's difficult to get to wash that mark off, you know? It's like, it just has a way of staying with a person. And, and, and when you're the subject of shame, and when it's stuck to you, it makes you wanna hide because you can feel the eyes on you. You can feel the gossip and the suspicion. You can feel the rumors. People know that something is there. They might not know the details, but they know it's something. And people feel that. I believe that Mary Magdalene probably felt a lot of shame. That she was very familiar with that. But here's the thing. She also knew Jesus. She apparently was close with him. We know that because of several reasons. One is that she called him things like uh, uh, my, my Lord. Right? Personal. She also called him uh, Rabboni, which, which means uh, uh, my teacher. So there was something personal, there was a personal connection. Um, but more than that, she was, she was one of the few who actually stuck around the day that Jesus was brutally tortured on the cross. She was there and watched it happen and didn't run away. You know who did run away? The disciples. All of them except for One. <clears throat> John was the only one who stayed. And John, a lot of scholars believe he was the youngest and and he would have been a teenager or maybe even a preteen. So you've got this this young guy and then all the men are gone and and the women are are there and Mary Magdalene is there and she's there weeping with Jesus' own mother. This is a woman who, who knew him deeply. And then we see what happens Right after Jesus dies, she doesn't just watch there, she helps take care of the body. Now, here's what what happened Jesus died on Friday, and they took him down off the cross, and they had to go quickly because when sundown comes, that's the beginning of Sabbath, and, and it would run all the way through sundown on Saturday. So they had to, to work quickly. And what they would do, you'd have family members that would do this, would wrap his body in linen and then spices to deal with the smell. Well, they, they started, it appears they started that process and then had to stop for Sabbath. They got his body into a tomb nearby and they had to stop all Saturday and just wait. And when sundown comes, then Sabbath is over and then they're able to go to work. Well, it says that Mary came when it was still dark on the first day. This is somewhere, in the, it could be in the middle of the night, between Saturday and Sunday. The point is, she goes at the earliest possible time she can go. She knows, oh, we have to do this thing. And so she and a couple other women are so devoted to Jesus that they act like family. And they come in and they do this sacred thing. They come and they've got their spices, they've got their myrrh, they've got these things. And they're coming over to take care of the body. So she wasn't just a follower. She was someone who knew him and and loved him, truly cared. And I wonder why. I suspect it was because he saw her at her very worst, and he still loved her. Here's the thing. Every time I'm reading the Gospels, I see people who are covered with shame and how they're attracted to Jesus Christ. Those who are heavy, those who have uh, whispers about them, those who carry reputations, they all seem to be drawn to Jesus of Nazareth. Again, I just mentioned a few examples. I think of the woman, they say the woman at the well. This is a Samaritan woman, Say so a different race and all kinds of tension between Jews and Samaritans. She has been married five times and now she's with a man who's not her husband. And she is drawing water by herself in the morning with no other women around. You can read between the lines really easily here. You see, at this time, women were not allowed to divorce their husbands. Only the husband could divorce his wife. She had been turned out by five different men. Can you imagine? And she had no sort of like social recourse here uh, uh, the only thing she could do to, to sustain life was to be with another man. So now she's with another man. And she, here she is by herself drawing water before anybody else is up. And I think that she was there because she couldn't, she couldn't bear the whispers. I think she was there because probably she was the subject of so much scorn from the other women. Here she is drawing water. And who comes but a man? And a man and a woman are not supposed to even be in this kind of conversation when no one else is around. Jesus doesn't care. <laughs> Certainly a Jew is not supposed to be talking to a Samaritan. He's He's, Jesus is a walking cultural faux pas. He's not supposed to be doing any of this, does he? No. This is highly irregular, sir. Highly irregular. He comes in and he starts talking to this woman. And, and he's, he's reading her mail, and he's reading her heart, and he is, he is presenting himself as the Messiah and inviting her to, to be free and to experience the salvation that he's come to bring. Wow. Somebody with shame drawn to him. Here's another one. There's a woman that's often referred to as the woman with the issue of blood. And this apparently is a woman who had had menstrual bleeding probably, uh, uh, you know, for, for years and years and years. Probably since she first became a woman. And, and this would have uh, uh, presented enormous problems, uh, not only practically of how to stop the bleeding and stay clean and all these things. But if you had this kind of issue, this made you ceremonially unclean. That means you were basically outside the social circle. That means you, you, you didn't get to take part in real community she would have been considered unclean all the time. Imagine carrying that label around. Imagine not only knowing, like, I know I have to, you know, I have to, uh, ugh, I'm not physically clean, but for for that to be your label, I am unclean. And what happens with this woman? She hears of Jesus, she hears him, and she sees him, and she is so drawn to him that she believes that she can just get in his presence, even just, just touch the hem of his garment, that she could be clean. So she pushes her way through this crowd and she touches his garment and he heals her quite by accident. It's an amazing moment. People who are dealing with shame, who know shame intimately, want to be with him. It's not just women either, it's men too. You know who were who the most, defi- you know, the, the, the most just like ugh, dirtiest kind of people around was the tax collectors. Now, not that IRS agents are like the life of the party nowadays, <laughs> but we don't know the kind of like, this was like a, a big deal because it wasn't just their vocation, it was the reputation that if you are a tax collector, what this means is that you are also a thief. And so here you have a guy like Zacchaeus, wee little man. You have this guy who's like a chief tax collector. He's this little man. He's like a, he's basically like a mob boss, like hated. He's hated. Now, he, and, and you know, he brought a lot of that on himself probably. But what happens when even this man, even with self-inflicted shame, sees Jesus He's so drawn to him, he climbs a tree and goes, hey, hey, right here. (laughs) And even that man, Jesus says, I like you. We're gonna party at your place. (laughs) Like, it's amazing. Even if the shame is self-inflicted, they're drawn to him because there's something about him. He, He removes the mark. He rips off the label. He gives people something fresh and something new. Sometimes shame is self-inflicted. I heard this story years ago from a a missionary in in St. Mark, Haiti. Uh, Haiti is is, uh, notoriously very, very, extremely poor and, and just so much corruption in the government. This man had been had been working in this city for years and years and doing enormous good in terms of community development and wonderful things were happening. But they know like anything can happen with this government and one day, sure enough, they come for no reason and arrest him and throw him in jail. And he doesn't know how long he'll be there. It could be years. He has no idea. And he gets in there and he quickly meets all these prisoners. They find out who he is, they find out that he is a man of God. And so they ask him, Sir, will you pray for us? And he says, Okay. But let me ask you this. He asks each one of them this question Should I pray for mercy or justice? And they understood well. Because everybody knows about the corruption. And each one of them went by, and he asked them the question. And some would say, I am innocent. I was thrown in here for something I did not do. Pray for justice. And some said, I did it, and I desperately need the mercy of God. And one by one, he prayed for those things. What would you, what would you say if somebody asked you that? You want to pray for God's mercy or for God's justice? See, our culture today is kind of obsessed with justice, and, and a lot of that's beautiful, you know? Like, w- when we see abuse and oppression and violation of, of human rights, you know, it's, it's good to call it out. We, we call out for God to set those things right and even punish the wicked. You know, there are some things on this earth that are not going to be set right. We want them to be, to, to be set right by courts and decision makers and governmental leaders. But some of those we are going to have to wait because they're going to get missed. There are guilty people that walk free. Some of you in this crowd have, have, been, have experienced immense, unimaginable hurt and pain at the hands of other people. And you might have even watched those who hurt you get away with it. And I want to tell you that God saw that. And if people get away with things on earth, they still have to stand and face him one day. This is why God says vengeance is mine. Because he says, I understand your desire for vengeance, but give it to me. I will be the one to deal with this, and he will. And, and, and I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that even if everybody else forgets or says, no, that didn't happen, he sees it and he will hold people to account. Our striving for justice is good and it's right. However, I also fear that we're missing something key. Because the truth is, if justice comes, we're all gonna get caught up in that justice. How are we going to escape See, I, I know that some are more guilty than others and guilty of weightier crimes. And I know that there's, there's weightier punishments and that is appropriate. And I don't, I, I'm not suggesting that, that everything will be treated exactly the same. That's, that's not true. And when somebody does a terrible thing, they will be, there will be huge consequences for that. But here's the thing. We might, we might sometimes let the severity of someone else's guilt make us feel like we're not guilty at all. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's dangerous for us. We might decry murder and shootings and violence, for example, but do do we let unforgiveness fester in our hearts? Do we let hatred grow in our hearts? Because where do you think violence and murder comes from? It comes from that place. We might decry things like sexual abuse, and we need to. We desperately need to. But what about the lusts? And what about the 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 desire for power over other people that can grow in our hearts? Because that's where abuse grows, that's where it festers because before it ever sees the light of day. How are we to escape if we call out only for God's justice? We have systems that need fixing. But even if all those systems get fixed, and, and, and even if we lock up all the abusers, we still have to do something about the heart problem because the problem starts inside and it goes outward. What are we going to do about that? You see, we all need mercy. We don't just need justice, we need mercy. And I fear feel, I feel we've forgotten about it in this day and age. Like, we just don't talk about it anymore. But we need it. It's out of fashion. And I think the reason is if you're saying you need mercy, then you're saying you're guilty. You're admitting you're guilty. Because mercy isn't for the innocent, the innocent don't need mercy, only guilty people need it. There was an English newspaper editor about 100 years ago that was doing a piece uh, uh, called What's Wrong with the World. And so he sent this question out to various authors to get different takes on it. Well, he sent one out to G.K. Chesterton, the Christian author, one of my favorites in the whole wide world. And as the story goes, I haven't been able to corroborate this. There's like different accounts, but as the story goes, Chesterton got the letter, what's wrong with the world? And he sent back four words, dear sir, I am. I'm like, yeah, put me on that list too. What's wrong with the world? I am. (laughs) I am. See, the truth is, even as I can cry out for justice, I have my own naked need for his mercy. I see what I've done, and I see there's no way to actually undo it. I see what others have done, and there's no way to undo that either. We are in desperate need of his mercy, friends. Let's go back to Mary Magdalene according to luke's account she goes early early in the morning or maybe even in the middle of the night and she finds the tomb empty except for two men in really really cool looking outfits <laughs> and they tell her that jesus is not there but he's been risen from the dead she doesn't know what to do she kind of freaks out naturally as would all of us. She runs to tell the disciples, and they don't believe her. I say, well, why didn't they believe her? Maybe it was because she was a woman. I mean, the testimony of women back then was regarded as like something so low, like you don't want to have a woman testify in court because that's going to be basically meaningless in the day. So maybe that was part of it. Maybe it was culturally, it was just like, we don't care what you think. Maybe it was because of her own past. It wasn't just any woman. If it was Mary of Bethany, they would have listened. But this is, uh, this is crazy Mary. Maybe that's what it was. Her own, her own history. Or maybe it was just that, you know, typically people don't raise from the dead. It's just not done. But for whatever reason, they, 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 they don't listen until finally they come. And the, the, the exact sequence of this when you compare the different gospel accounts is really tricky to pin down. But here's, here's what looks like happened. They, they at first said no, and then Peter and John decided to go and check it out anyway. So we'll pick it up now in John's gospel, chapter 20, verse 3. So Peter went out with the other disciple. That was John himself. He's writing about himself. Watch this. This is great. The other disciple, they were going toward the tomb Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter. (sighs) I I don't know if Peter was still alive when he wrote his gospel, but I hope he was, because I think he went like... He's like, I had a rock in my shoe. All right. He reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stopped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white standing where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. See, she had apparently, even though she had already been told, she couldn't understand and believe it either. I wonder if she was scared to believe it, you know? Because people who have had their hearts broken a whole lot of times, for them, hope is scary. But then this happens. (laughs) Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. You guys, feel the weight of this. Jesus has not appeared to anyone yet. Who's, who's going to be his first person? If it was me, I would have said, Give me Pontius Pilate. <laughs> hey, huh? Let me see those hands. Oh, they're not so clean after all, buddy. I'm here to take names, yeah. Or maybe the centurion, you know, who, who finally pinned him up here. He goes, Hey, see these? Ha! What you got, buddy, you know, or whatever. Maybe the high priest. Maybe, or maybe he was going to do, you know, okay, he's Jesus, so he's not going to be like vengeful like I am, but, but maybe he's like, okay, let me get, let me get my, let me get one of my rock star disciples. Let me get Peter, James, and John together like, hey, boys, how's it going? But he doesn't do any of that. You know who he goes to? He goes to the one who's carried shame her whole life. He goes to the one with the broken heart. See, here's the thing I told you before, that people with shame sought Jesus out. But the thing is, Jesus also sought out people dealing with shame. All through his story, he's looking for the brokenhearted, and he's touching them, and he's giving them grace, and he's giving them freedom, and he's speaking life. He goes to the mourners. He goes for those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. He goes for the poor in spirit. He goes for the broken and the hopeless. He goes for those who understand their need for his touch, not for those who don't. You see, all through the scriptures, we see God, he, he opposes the proud. He opposes. If you're going to stand and say, I've not done anything, it's them that need it. God's going, you know what? I'm actually going to look for somebody who understands and who is broken. Why do, we, why do we try to run from our brokenness? Let's embrace the fact that we're broken because he only heals broken people. And here's Mary Magdalene this beautiful soul who's lived under this cloud her entire life. And he says, this one, this one. I'm going to show my risen body to this one. I'm going to appear to this one first. The first person who is going to say he is risen is going to be this woman. Mary Magdalene. Jesus says to her woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? I wonder if he had a little grin on his face. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said, Sir, if if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary? And she turned to him and said in Aramaic, Rabboni? And she jumps in his arms, and she clings to him in this pure and undefiled Everlasting joy. It was in a personal account with the risen Jesus Christ that she believed. This man knew her past. He knew all of the ugly things about her. He knew, he saw her shame, and yet he was not ashamed of her. He honored her. He calls her by name Mary. Here is the hope for all of us who carry shame. All of us who live under our own reputations, whether, whether self-inflicted or inflicted unfairly from the outside, he sees you, and he calls your name. You might carry shame, but he is not ashamed of you. This is the testimony of this Jesus. He, I know it sounds too good to be true, but it is true, The only man in whom mercy and justice meet, the only one who longs to give mercy and can see all the ugly things, Jesus Christ is not dead. He is alive. Worship team, can you come? And if you're going to get baptized here, now's the time to go on back there. Pastor Joshua is going to be there waiting for you. He is alive. Romans 10 says this. He took it on the cross, and he left it there, and you don't have to pick it up again. You don't have to pick it up again. He knows your name, and he's calling you this morning. I want to give an invitation, because I think some of you decided to follow Jesus a long time ago, maybe when you were younger, and and then things got really complicated. Maybe you blew it a lot, or maybe your heart got broken into a thousand pieces and you stopped following him with your whole heart. I want to invite you to give your heart back to him this morning. There's no shame there, friends. If you would say, I want to start over. I want that that mark just washed away. I want to follow this man called Jesus. If that's you, I want to lift your hands. just be bold and lift your hand and say, I want to start again. I want to give my heart to Jesus again. Thank you. Thank you. And maybe you've never, maybe you've never made that decision, but maybe you want to meet him for the first time and to give him your heart and your allegiance. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to be bold and lift your hand. You pray with me to repeat after me, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died for me and are alive again. I admit I've messed up. I ask for your forgiveness. And I ask you to heal my broken heart. I want to turn away from all the things that keep me from you. And I want to begin to follow you today. Just like Mary did. Amen.